We're back now with overtime on Off the Record with Representative David Legrand from the west side of the state. Uh, Representative, how many people on your side of the state are wearing their mask and social distancing, or how many give a hoot? You know, I think a lot are, but I think also, I mean, look, we have to follow the science on this. Getting uh, transmission outside is very, very rare. And we're also at a point where we're very close. If we're not there, we're very close to everyone who wants a vaccine has gotten one. And so I think it's really important to be honest about two things. One, uh, the vaccine availability. Two, uh, look at kids. Uh, if you've got a 12-year-old in your household, I, my mother lives with us. She's 79 years old. A year ago, my child getting the virus might have meant my mother died. Well, my mother's vaccinated now. So the stakes are way lower for children getting it because most of them don't get seriously ill. That's a long way of saying, I think people are rationally um, relaxing outdoors, but uh, I, I'm seeing a lot of people being very, very careful indoors still. Representative, if you were a believer in science, wouldn't the science today, as we sit here today, dictate there be a shutdown in the state of Michigan? Uh, I think believe in science is an oxymoron. Um, I, I think you, uh, I think you uh, believe in God, but you don't believe in science. Um, but anyway, the uh, uh, I think the answer is I thought there was a very good argument for a pause a couple of weeks ago. Um, at this point, given the availability of the vaccine, I'm not sure that the best move isn't to do isn't to really do the door. To, my mother's going to go out and door to do a door to door push. Uh, in Grand Rapids this weekend and just try to get as many people to get the vaccine as possible. So um, a so couple of wait a minute, a couple of weeks ago, you were willing to shut down the state. Is that correct? Did I hear you correctly? A couple of weeks ago. Yeah. And you're not uh, today. Not, well, because every day more people get vaccinated. Uh, and, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I said, look, the vaccines are almost here. We're almost at availability. A couple of weeks ago, my family, to, to use a ra random example, one of us had one shot. Now, everyone in my family is fully vaccinated. Emily. That's a huge leap. Emily. Okay. Yeah, we talked a little bit um, in the last segment about the governor's travel plans, which I think you said uh, was not super relevant <laughs> in your thinking. But I'm curious, as a longtime transparency advocate, how you'd rate her transparency overall. Um, she's taken some lumps for not only the travel, but the non-disclosure as part of the um, Robert Gordon separation agreement um, and for not setting clear benchmarks for when, when things are going to open and close. Um, how transparent do you think she's been as governor in her first uh, chunk of her term here? Okay, well, let's start by saying one of my mantras as a politician is I always want to confess my fallibility. I make at least eight mistakes a day that I notice, which means I probably make 20. And unfortunately, there's too much of a, of a you know, rhetorical position that politicians have to be perfect. Our governor's not perfect. What I do like about her is she learns from, from her errors. So if you take a look at the Gordon situation, she did a non-disclosure agreement. That was part of the culture of Lansing. Lots of them had been done by other people. There was pushback on it. She almost immediately pivoted, issued an executive order, said, not going to do those anymore, which is great. So, uh, you know, she learned on that. And and I learn when I when I do things and they become topics of conversation. Similarly, on financial disclosure, which I've been working on, when when the when we started the conversation, the governor was a little resistant on it. Then eventually she fully disclosed. So she's now become a leader on. So, you know, when you're talking about transparency, I always come back to the most important thing is to be transparent about uh, politicians finances because the people think that we are self enriching. And that is a blow to the to the workings of democracy. Transparency about you know how often I go 
to Mexico or, you know, what kind of car I drive is a lot less important than do I own a million dollars worth of Tesla stock and I'm wandering around trying to get Tesla sales increased in Michigan. I mean, there are lots of ways for electeds to profit from their holdings. And that's, I think, the most important discussion. And she's been great on that. So I would rank her. I would rank her about an eight out of 10 in learning, but I'd only rank myself about an eight out of 10 in learning. So, and learning, I mean, I think that's the critical part. And so someone who can learn from their mistakes is, is the politician I want. Rick? Well, we've talked about this at length, Representative, and uh, you, you make a very compelling case uh, for transparency, but thinking about your conversation with Emily and what you said earlier, isn't transparency uh, kind of an all-in kind of plan. I mean, you can't tell me everything you know about this, but hold back information about this. I mean, it, it isn't no, I, transparency kind of a, a full-time game? Of I, I, no, I completely disagree. That's like saying freedom is a full-time value. I mean, a lot of people are coming in right now and saying, wearing a mask takes away my freedom. Like, no, putting you in jail takes away your freedom. Uh, you know, taking away your right to vote takes away your freedom. A mask is not a freedom issue. Similarly, transparency in things that are relevant to the voters is incredibly important. Where my financial holdings are, how rich I am isn't really a relevant issue or how poor I am. Um, similarly, like, I don't know, my taste in music. I mean, that's not a relevant uh, source of discussion. And maybe it's private. Maybe I really like listening to headbanging music, uh, but I don't like how that would affect my image with the voters. Um, I think everyone has a right to privacy. I mean, the Supreme Court established that in, in, in uh, you know, decades ago. There is such thing as a right to privacy, and you don't lose all your rights to privacy when you go into public office. I think, you know, if you look at Britain, like Princess Diana got killed by the fact that you know, in Britain, there seems to be no limit to how intrusive the press can be. If you were parked out in front of my house right now with a, with a, with a microphone, uh, I would feel like the press had a warped relationship with me as an elected official. What we're doing right now is great. You should be able to ask me any question that's relevant to my work as an elected official. Now, where I went, whether I went to Florida for two days, I don't think is really relevant if I'm fully vaccinated and the CDC says I can. I mean, I, I would bet a lot of money what, what the governor was saying about her travel for about travel in general, for example, was, look, if you're not vaccinated uh, and you're a, and you're a disease vector, don't be a disease vector. That's great advice. But if you're fully vaccinated, I'm, I'm seeing, you know, I'm not really seeing great arguments against air travel right now if you're fully vaccinated. I wish the Canadians well, I, I, would open I, I, the border. The, the point is that uh, I completely agree that you have a right to privacy, and, and all of us do. However, when you put yourself on the public stage and in the function of your duty, you are telling other people what to do, how to do it, when to do it as a matter of public safety, don't you have then some responsibility to at least disclose if you're going to work outside of those parameters yourself? Oh, absolutely. I think I, I, I was just making the conceptual point, like privacy is not an absolute value. Right. Uh, transparency is not an absolute value. I have much less right to privacy than someone who doesn't run for office. And I chose it. I don't have to run for office. If I don't if I don't want to, to be honest and open with the voters, I can go do something else. I can go sell houses. Uh, I go back to practice law. I mean, there's plenty of things I could do with my time. Besides, I see my relationship with the voters as something like a marriage. I mean, it is a sacred trust. It is an obligation. It is not something that makes me important. It makes me obliged to answer to 
the people that I have that relationship with. And so absolutely, I have way less right to privacy than someone in the private sector. So she should have announced that she was going to Florida to visit her dad. I think that would be easy to do, and I would have done it myself. But again, back to the not everybody's perfect, and I don't know. I mean, there are there are if, if it's if there's a family relationship involved. I mean, imagine how it would feel. My my okay. So to get personal for a minute, my father died of Lewy body dementia. It was really really tough um, to lose who I thought was the wisest and smartest person in my life, and is it fun to talk about that? It's not fun to talk about, you know, having to, you know having to like move my father around, have him lose his ability to be verbal. Uh, you know, the fact that I couldn't get advice from him anymore, the fact that he felt trapped and all of his struggles with his mortality. I mean, it stunk. Uh, it was, it was one of the crappier uh, situations in my life or, you know, my, my, my daughter being born blind. It was horrible. That, that first month of her life was the worst month of my life. Do I necessarily think someone who doesn't want to talk about those things is a bad person? No. So if the governor is going down to visit her father, who may have health issues, and she's reticent to talk about it, I just don't have a lot of interest in throwing stones. Mr. Alst Representative, yeah, Representative, you mentioned um, some concerns over vaccine hesitancy and how that may complicate efforts to reach herd immunity in Michigan. Um, your colleagues in the House on the Republican side are pushing legislation and budget provisions to try and ban the use of vaccine passports in the state. Um, what do you make of vaccine? the idea of a vaccine passport? And um, what do you think of the, uh, the legislative effort to ban them? So I, I, I'll tell you this. I can see the libertarian argument against vaccine passports. In other words, I can get vaccinated and then maybe, you know, whether you die or not is your problem. That's a very strong argument. My argument that makes me in favor of vaccine passports is I want everybody vaccinated because I don't like variants. And variants come from infected people. It comes from the vaccine being infected in, a, in an unvaccinated population. And I, I, and I am really, really concerned, say, about the situation in India right now and all of those people being incubators for another variant. I mean, if there's a variant of COVID, which was twice as transmissible and 10 times as deadly uh, and evaded all of our vaccines, we could undo all the work we've, we've been doing tomorrow. And I think everybody who's not vaccinated has an obligation to the rest of us to keep the rest of us safe. So I am in favor of vaccine passports. All right. At the governmental level, I mean, obviously, private companies could could do that uh, on their own. But you think government should be involved in uh, establishing vaccine passports? Well, I mean, a vac we already have a vaccine passport in the sense that I have in my wallet the proof that I've got fully vaccinated. And the CDC has been doing this forever. Um, it's not a new concept. I have one upstairs from when I traveled to the third world that's a vaccine passport for hepatitis and other things. So we already have the documents. The question is, like, for example, tomorrow we could say, fine, you want to go to a Tigers baseball game? No capacity limits. Just prove you're vaccinated. I mean, that would be a uh, that would be a model shift, which would be easy. Say no, no capacity uh, limits at restaurants. You just have to you know, the restaurants can just be required. They're allowed to require that you prove vaccination. If we did that, it would shift the whole model. And boy, it would make it would open things up. I think I think they have the potential to open things up very quickly because you could eliminate all your capacity limits if you just had a, if you allowed businesses to choose to require vaccination. Representative, thank you very much for joining us on our program. Also, thanks to Rick and Jonathan and Emily. And so are you a headbanger? Uh, no. Uh, members of my staff have hypothetically in their youth uh, been into heavy metal, but I never got it. I like, I like 
I'm a Simon and Garfunkel kind of guy. <laughs> That's not headbanging. Uh, next week on Off the Record, James Hoffa will be our guest. Thanks, everybody. Have a safe weekend, guys.